Welcome to the Long Island Big Book Workshop. My name is Taylor and I am an alcoholic. Could we please have a moment of silence uh, followed by the Serenity Prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. The purpose of this workshop is for AA members to share their experience on five topics. Surrender, forgive, amend, change, and uh, surrender in there. Serve. Thank you, Tim. It is open to anyone interested, so please respect the anonymity of anyone else attending and do not disclose anyone else's attendance without their permission or convey content linked to the identity of the speaker. Uh, so a couple of things regarding housekeeping. So uh, So we will have two of our five sessions uh, prior to our uh, extended lunch break. Uh, we aim to begin lunch around 12.30 and to resume with session 3 around 2 o'clock. Um, in terms of coffee, it is being made right now. Sorry, alcoholics, you didn't have your coffee to commence the meeting. Um, I know that's really a problem, and all of you, these seats, people probably left when they saw no coffee. Um, restrooms. Uh, we have two restrooms at the front. Uh, there's uh, also... Uh, in the beverage room, besides coffee, there's uh, water and soda um, and tea. Um, for those who uh, would like to contribute and have not yet, there is a $5 suggested donation. However, uh, not required if you're not in a place where you're able to do that. Um, just please make sure to see the registration table um, even if you were here yesterday, we still need people to sign in to the facility signing paper, which is at the registration table. Um, just a fire safety thing that they've requested of us. Uh, later on, after our final session, um, which we plan to close uh, this whole shindig around 6 o'clock, uh, we will all be... Uh, going to uh, have dinner at a place to be announced, uh, probably some diner hopefully in the area. Last night we went to Candlelight Diner. Uh, we may very well do that again tonight, but uh, we'll keep you posted on that one. We have a pack of readings for each session uh, that will be made available online. Um, for all those who did the pre-registration, uh, should have had those readings emailed to you. Uh, please check your spam folder. Um, and uh, to kick us off, here is a reading for this session on the topic of surrender. This is from page 58 of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. I now invite you to welcome uh, four speakers uh, who will be sitting up here for session one. We have Joe, Paul, Bill, and Ava. I'm a very grateful alcoholic Hi, Joe. because of the loving grace of God, the fellowship and good sponsorship. I haven't found the necessary face life or escape it by taking a drink or doing any outside issues since June 14, 1993. And for that, I owe you all my life. I'm here this morning to talk on the topic for 15 minutes of uh, on surrender. And, you know, 
that doesn't come very easy to an alcoholic. I, I heard this, this saying that an alcoholic is someone who can be laying face down in the gutter puking, looking down on the world. And that fit me. Um, surrender, here, here's, here's the deal with surrender. It, there was a, a good story. I read this this morning in one of my readings. There was a, a, um, a soldier that goes into the, uh, the kingdom and, and he goes over to the, the king and he says, Your Majesty, I, I, we have a, I have some bad news and I have some good news. And your majesty says, well, what's, what's, what's the good news, the bad news? And he says, well, our kingdom is in shambles. We're out of ammunition and all the men have left their post. He says, oh, that's horrible. What's, and he says, we're not going to be able to defend ourselves against the barbarians. And um, the king says, well, what's the good news? And the soldier looks at the king and says, there are no barbarians. You see, most of my life, I've been fixing problems that didn't exist. And a surrender, you know, another thing is, the word surrender will not be found in the first 164 pages. They use the words abandon, abandon ourselves, and concede. And that's what I'd like to kind of form this talk around is those two words, abandon. You know, you, you get the word abandon, and on page 17 we talk about the great ocean liner. And, and I think about that movie, The Titanic. Abandoned ship, abandoned ship. You know, with alcoholics we can be drowning in the seas of alcoholism, but we're not going to abandon ship. And what, what I found is I've had to do in my life. My, my sobriety has been nothing more or nothing less than an endless series of internal surrenders. And those internal surrenders, I, I have to tell you, sometimes they were indistinguishable, a internal surrender between a spiritual awakening and a nervous breakdown look an awful lot alike when you're in those. They really do. But I also was thinking, as a class of people, there is not another class of people in the planet that know about surrender better than any of us. And I'll, I'll tell you why. The best example I've ever had of surrendering is if somebody was drowning, and they couldn't catch their breath. And they're there and they're just really, really, really. And then finally, you're going to die. And so you just surrender and you relax. That's the way my decisions have been my whole life. The surrendering that I took when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous was kind of like whenever I was drinking. And at things I would be... I would, name of my home group when I lived in Washington, D.C. was a slow learners group of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a men's group. We're slow learners, but we're faster forgetters. I would, I would swear I would never drink ever again. And I would take a pledge with my wife, with the priest. I'd get the kids alone, say, Daddy's never drinking again. And I meant that. And if you hooked me up to a lie detector test, I, I would pass it. I was never going to drink again. But I never had the power to keep that up. I would always surrender to alcoholism. Now let's get this connection. I would surrender to the drink. Why would I surrender to the drink? Because I had nowhere else to turn. I remember nothing treats alcoholism better than alcohol until it doesn't. You see, the fatal progressive nature of alcoholism is such that it makes you feel that euphoric omnipotence when you first drink. Boom, you get it. You feel good. You love everybody. You feel it at peace. Every, these feelings of isolation and difference, you don't have anymore when you drink. And I would surrender to that. But eventually what the alcohol was doing for me, it started doing to me. And there's a, something that long before I became a pickle, I kept thinking I was a cucumber. 
And the surrendering was, in my mind, I know I look like a cucumber, but I'm a pickle. And the surrendering would always go back to the bottle, and I'd pour that ignorant oil on me, and it would just kill me. It wasn't until I hit a point of that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization that I really started taking this. You see, if the alcohol was getting between me and you, you would go. No matter what, I would always choose alcohol. I would drink no matter what I would drink, and I could never stop drinking. And the more I drank, the fewer and fewer choices I would get, but I always chose and surrendered to the alcohol. I didn't have a choice, but I thought I had a choice. I had a mind that would tell me I was making a decision. You see, I would always surrender to the alcohol. And I always thought that I was making that decision. But I have a physical, I have a physical allergy. Once I put it in my body, I manifest a phenomenon of craving and I have to drink. But when I'm not drinking, if I don't put it in my body, I'm not going to have that compulsion. So when I don't have that compulsion, then I shouldn't ever drink again, right? Well, the thing about alcoholism is you have the mental obsession, and that's what I would surrender to. I didn't have a, a defense against that. When I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I had tried everything. I tried romance, finance, I tried everything trying to get me to feel better, and nothing would work. And I'd surrender to any new idea I would see people on TV and I'd go buy their book, I'd go to their treatment center, I would go try everything. I've been dipped, dunked, and sprayed by the best. I've laid my hands in earnestly speaking in tongues trying to get that, and I would surrender to that. But why wouldn't I surrender to this simple program? You see, Alcoholics Anonymous has a 100% success rate, and the, what the reading that we had this morning tells us that. Um, page 58. Uh, there are two types of people, the cannots and the will nots, give themselves to this simple program. The cannots and will nots. They cannot or will not give themselves completely to this simple program. Why not? That's the surrender there. Why not? Why, if you had cancer and you went into a doctor, and he would say, hey, we have a cure for this. It would mean that you would have to go to a meeting, spend, get there about 15, 20 minutes early, try to help some other people. But we can, we can give you a daily reprieve. You won't be cured, but you will never suffer from the effects of your cancer. There'd be people selling their homes to get to that. But when we're talking about this, they won't do it. And I wouldn't do it. I would always surrender myself to that drink. I knew I could get some relief. I, but what it, what it eventually did, the fatal progressive nature of alcoholism is what it was doing for me, giving me that feeling of euphoric omnipotence. Sooner or later, it got down to where it was there, and I couldn't get drunk. And I was at page 152. I couldn't imagine life with or without alcohol. I was at the jumping off place. Well, I wasn't about to go to AA with those willy-nilly Jesus freaks talking about their higher power nonsense. I knew what they were really talking about. <laughs> so I did the only thing I could do is I just committed suicide. And I woke up and I was in the Bear County Hospital and I found out I was such a loser I couldn't even, I couldn't even kill myself. So I jumped out the window to my death, but I was on the first floor. And they put me in a straitjacket, and they took me back to the Texas State Insane Asylum, and I spent 81 days there having 37 shock treatments, and I surrendered to that. I remember when they put those electrodes on my head and they strapped me all down, I'm saying, God, I hope this works. I surrendered to that. You see, I wasn't an alcoholic when I came in. I had a lot of other problems, but I wasn't an alcoholic. The greatest surrender in my life is the day I surrender to the fact that when we talk about fully concede to our innermost self, abandoning to ourself to God, utterly to God, without reservation, that was June 14, 1993. And I don't know how it happened, but the grace of God opened up in my life and I started getting movement at that point. And there's a big difference 
uh, between admitting and accepting. You see, I admitted to the priest, to the wife, to the kids, to the probation officer, to the lawyers, to the courts, but I never accepted. You see, that's outward compliance. And we're talking about inward reliance. Going be beyond the confines of mere rationalism, behind my head. And I did that June 14, 1993, and here's what it looked like. I asked for help. That's what a surrender looks like. Asking for help. I asked for help. I called a man from the hospital after I could talk, and I asked him for help. And he told me he would take me on a spiritual journey of 12 spiritual surrenders called the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said at the end of those 12 steps, I would be changed. That if I could change, I wouldn't need Alcoholics Anonymous. But I would be changed. That I, and the big book talks about being possessed by this power. Lack of power is my dilemma. And at the end of this, I had a personality change. And I'm not the same person I was. But I had to surrender to the process. And how do you surrender? I'll tell you. Step three is where the surrender is. Um, and I got to say this is the best advice I got when I was new is they looked at me and said, you little shit, this isn't Burger King. You don't get it your way. <laughs> said Alcoholics Anonymous um, is, I said, well, it's a, it's a simple program for complicated people. And they said, bullshit. Alcoholics Anonymous is a simple pre program for people who think they're complicated. <laughs> he said, Alcoholics Anonymous cannot, will not, never has, never will, and it's absolutely impossible to fail, provided you take some certain steps. And when you take those, you will have changed. No one in Alcoholics Anonymous, if there are only two people who will not make it, it's the cannots and will nots. And I took the steps and things started magnificently changing in me. You see, he told me, he said, Joe, the number one offender is resentment, right? What's the number two? What's the number three? And I have to tell you what I believe they are, is old ideas. He said, Joe, it's not an old idea if you still believe and if you're still letting them guide you. So surrendering those new uh, old ideas were a big thing for me. It was like um, the surrender that I had to make was if at the end of the um, World War II on the USS Missouri, MacArthur was there and Japan came up and they did a surrender. And when they were there to sign it, they handed the guy of uh, Japan, the, the, the guy who was their representative, and they handed it to him, the unconditional terms of surrender. And he says, okay, and he picked it up and he started reading it. That pissed MacArthur off. MacArthur goes over there, rips it out of his hand, says, it's unconditional, sign it. If you've got a good sponsor, that's what he's going to do. <laughs> now, what do I do? What do we do? We, we had an atomic bomb of alcoholism go off in our life. They cleared away the wreckage of the past. What do I like to do? I like to keep a couple villages of recreational depression, right? And go back and visit it and think about it and feel good with it. And, and, but they didn't do it. They cleared away. And today they're a superpower. And that's what we do here in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd just like to say this is if you want to know how to surrender, it's just this simple. Four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11. And you don't have to ask somebody, hey, is that guy over there surrendered? I'm going to tell you how you know a guy surrendered. He's got a gleam in his eye. He's smiling. He's trolling for newcomers. There's two types of meetings I go to. I go to meetings where I go to get fed, and I go to meetings where I go to feed. And I have to tell you, there are days I don't know which is which. And, and here's the deal about surrendering. You're going out there, you're here, and because we're uniquely qualified, our, the thing you hate the most about yourself is the very thing that makes your life and you've been divinely qualified to reach and save someone else's life. It's as though we hear the silent screams of other souls. And we walk in and we hear them and we reach into their consciousness, a dark cavern, and we reach in there and we can hear it. No one else can hear it. Not this priest, not the psychiatrist, not the doctors, not the family, but we hear it and we reach and we grab their finger 
tips and we lock their hands and then we grab them like that and the sunlight comes up and hits their wrists, hits their elbow, hits their shoulders and then they come out and you see the chin and then when the sunshine hits the face we find it was us that we were pulling out. Good is the enemy of the best and ladies and gentlemen Alcoholics Anonymous is first class and it's given me the best. Thank you. Hi, family. My name is Paul DeLeo. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Thank you, Joe, for sharing your experience with us. Um, surrender. When I got here, I did not believe in surrender. I, I come from Brooklyn. We don't surrender. We go out fighting. Um, someone helped me tremendously in, on my early journey, and he gave me a new definition of surrender. Joe just touched on it. To surrender is to come over to the winning side. I thought it meant give up. I was not going to give up. When they gave me that new definition, I became a lot more willing to try to move forward. And um, it was a fight. It was a struggle from beginning to end. But when I learned about to concede, again, another word that we use instead of surrender, and I never realized surrender isn't in the first 164 pages. But to concede, I didn't really know what that meant. I thought it meant to give up. But to concede is to admit under pressure or to admit reluctantly. You know, when a guy is wrestling and he gets pinned down and he taps out, he concedes. He didn't want to, but he had no choice. That was what it took for me to surrender. There had to be nowhere left. I had nowhere left to go. Um, my wife uses a statement which I steal from her occasionally. I had to come to the end of myself. Because until I was at the end of myself, I could not do this. And that was the beginning of a surrender for me. And what it meant in the beginning was that I was just going to trust someone else. Um, the God thing wasn't going to work for me. Me and God had been separated for a long period of time. So I'm not willing to surrender to God. But I see these people in AA and they seem to be living good lives. So I surrendered to my own group. And group of drunks became my sponsor for a while. And then they told me that if I followed the good orderly direction in our book, I would start to get better. So I surrendered to the good orderly direction that's in our book. And what happened was at one point, um, I remember pretty well, I had about seven months of sobriety. The reason I remember it because it was on April 1st, because my sober date was September 1st. It was April Fool's Day. And I just was standing in my shower and I stepped back and I said, oh my God, I'm not doing any of the stuff I used to do. I'm not saying the things I used to say. Like, my, this thing worked. It just happened just like that. It, it was over a period of seven months, but it happened in a minute. And, and that all of a sudden I realized that I need to give this thing 100%. And at that point, I became surrendered. I didn't surrender. I became surrendered. Someone surrendered me, my higher power. And uh, as I've done this journey, I've learned that I still need to surrender every day. And you know, I want to share something. And last night I was looking through some stuff and my wife and I start our day every morning with, with a new surrender. Someone gave me a prayer. I was at a meeting probably 10, 15 years ago, a long time ago. And he gave this out and I read this prayer and I put it away. But then years later, I picked it up and this is my surrender every morning. The prayer says, Dear God, I am powerless and my life is unmanageable without your love and guidance. I come to you today because I believe that you can restore and renew me to meet my needs today. Since I cannot manage my life or affairs, I have decided to give them to you. Put my life, my will, my thoughts, my desires and ambitions in your hands. I give you all of me, the good and the bad, the character defects and the shortcomings, my selfishness, resentments and problems. I know that you will work them out in accordance with your plan. Such as I am, take and use me in your service. Guide and direct my ways. Show me what to do for you. I cannot control or change my friends or loved ones, so I release them into your care. For your loving hands, do it as you will. Just keep me loving and free from judging them. If they need changing, God, you'll have to do it. I can't. Just make me willing and ready to be of service to you. 
to have my shortcomings removed and to do my best. Help me to see how I've harmed others. Make me willing to make amends to them all. Keep me ever mindful of thoughts and actions that harm myself and others and which separate me from your light, love, and spirit. When I commit these errors, make me aware of them. Help me to admit each one promptly. I am seeking to know you better, to love you more. I am seeking the knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. And I have been reciting that prayer every morning for probably, I think it's 12 or 13 years. Started a few years before I met my wife, and then my wife and I started saying it. And the truth is, with that prayer, if I could actually do that, I can't, but I, I try to live that way. I try, and then what I do is I go through the day and remember that it's none of my business. I don't try to say prayers anymore. I try to be the prayer. Instead of saying the prayer, if I become the prayer, it changes my life. I need to do those things instead of read them. And when I start to be the prayer, the surrender becomes complete because now it's not my business anymore. And then what I do is again, I surrender at night. Each night, our book asks that we do a nightly review. Um, if I'm not doing a nightly review, I'm not living the AA way of life. And that's just for me. <laughs> but, but the deal is, when I do that nightly review, I get surrendered again, because it asks me some simple questions. Was I selfish? Was I dishonest? Was I afraid? Do I owe an apology? Have I kept something to myself that should be shared? Was I kind and loving toward all? What could I have done better? Was I thinking of myself most of the day? Or was I thinking of what I could do for people? What I could pack into the stream of life? And I get re-surrendered because I realize, oh, look, I, I was dishonest. I was not kind and loving. And then it tells me, after making our review, we ask God's forgiveness. And we ask God's corrective measures. So what happens is I get to ask God for help and I go to bed free all over again to start another surrender tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. Nice to see you all here. Um, I surrendered to the fact that I got up earlier and in a bigger hurry than I wanted to this morning, <laughs> right? Um, I could have chosen to stew on that for longer than the minute or two that I did, but I've learned through some of this process that we are, that we are exposed to that I don't have to live or think the way that I, that I used to. I came in here with all kinds of problems, you know. I didn't realize that uh, these problems for a long time were centered around my bad thinking and my bad habits. I came into Alcoholics Anonymous thinking that I had a problem with drinking. And I did by all, by all measures. What I didn't realize was how deep the problem was in thinking and in this hole inside of me that was really a hole that I thought something outside of me or something that I could put through my head would fill, and I had to learn about this conceding. Conceding to my innermost self, A, that I'm an alcoholic, and B, that I cannot fix this thing myself. Boy, that was the biggest conceding that I had ever faced. I can't do this myself. Because I think like most of us, you know, it's like um, we're taught and we believe that the solution is available if you just, you know, toughen up, do the right thing, get the right information, suck it up, and go for it, right? I tell you what, I sucked it up and went for it about as much as anybody could go but I didn't realize I was fighting something way bigger than me. I didn't realize, and, and there's still a sick part of me that wants to chirp away, even now, that says, you know what, I got this thing, you know? So talking about re-surrendering, you know? Um, I'm often having to re-surrender, and these days, 
I'm re-surrendering my will. That's what I'm surrendering. When I first came in here, that surrender was pretty easy. Let's see. Um, it was put to me very simply out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, continue the way I am, living in my step zero, step one stage, or accept spiritual help. And I tell you, I had heard that, but I didn't realize that it was that simple. There was always the, yeah, but there's door number three, four, or five. And being around and in love with AA as I have become, and being blessed with working with many, many people of various stages of sobriety, I used to think it was just me and like the newcomer mind who would say, help me, help me, help me, then don't tell me what to do, right? It's all of us. Everybody that I have met in AA, no matter how much time or whatever spiritual garb they, they claim to be wearing, um, there's an element of that. And if I'm wrong, I, I hope to be, and I'd like to find that person. <laughs> but, uh, so I surrender to the fact that this disease is much bigger than I am. I surrender to the fact that these steps were available not to be academic. If they were, uh, we, we have a friend in, in St. Paul, Minnesota. And by the way, I'm from Minnesota, and uh, hi from Minnesota. And uh, we have a friend in Minnesota who says, um, you know, there are times when life comes at us point blank. And it seems like we're reeling backwards and I'm in a reactionary position. That's the way I spent most of my life. Life's coming at me, I gotta run and defend, run or defend. And I've learned through this process that there's a different way to live. See, I had a living problem, not a drinking problem. And I'll tell you that I took a lot of other substances. And I do believe that AA is for alcoholics. And it took, it took a while for me to learn that I have alcoholism and I took drugs alcoholically. I had to surrender to that because I thought somehow I was special because I was like a dope Goliath, you know. <laughs> and I'd go to AA and, you know, some of these old timers, you know, they'd be patient, but, you know, I could see their patience was running thin with guys like me because I sobered up back in 1978. My uh, lasting uh, sobriety date as to, at this point is May 5th of 1980. So even after I surrendered and I got it, you could see there's, there's a gap in there. <laughs> and that gap, was, that, that gap was me taking charge one more time, not surrendering to the process. Now, that was a time, those were times when I gave in to the, to the chemicals. What about all the times since then that I give in to other things that I know, I've learned, aren't good for me, but I think I'm going to do them anyway? Now, we have a 10th step, and, and I'm a big believer in a 10th step and having a 10th step group of people that I trust and we are intimate with. And I call up and go, you know what this moron's thinking today? And I, I, really, I said that this for effect. I don't talk to myself in my head that way anymore. I learned that uh, words are very powerful and how I talk to myself about myself is very important to change. And that was another piece of surrender. Well, two hours left? Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll surrender to that. No, there was a lot of different things that came to me as the result of surrender come in the form of new awarenesses, new awakenings, new and I used to call them lines to cross. You know, back when, back when I came into AA, it's like, well, I'm not doing that. That guy's worse than me, right? As long, I, as long as I'm on this side of the line, I'm good. And I would keep marching over these lines. So these are definitive things that I put in my head. And the same is true with surrender and with God. I've learned that there's no limit to the surrenders. There's no limit to the lines that I can march across. I draw the lines myself in my head. God is so much bigger than that. This program is so much bigger than that. My mind is just that small. One of the things that I love about Alcoholics Anonymous is the freedom, the freedom to grow, the freedom to leave my, my pitiful thinking aside. Simple prayer that um, I 
I wasn't going to do this, but it looks like I am. Um, a very simple prayer that uh, my wife and I say every morning together. And it's coming out of the, out of the big book, so you, you can reconcile it out of here. It might be true. Um, God, please give us the strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the consequences may be. Help us to consider others and not harm them in any way. Help us to consult with others before we take any actions that may cause harm. Help us to not repeat such behavior. Show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love, and help us live a spiritual life. I've surrendered to this being my new MO. This is the way I want to live, and this is the way you will see me by my actions, showing I'm willing to live this way. That is a big surrender for a guy like me. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. Hi, everybody. I'm Ava, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ava. This morning, um, when you hear everybody's comments on surrender. When I was newly sober, I used to say, when I got sober, or I didn't get sober to do X and Y, like I made a decision. And in, retro in retrospect, I was surrendered by alcohol and by the way that I lived. It was like a dog with a bone. When it let go, it finally let go. The circumstances which surround, um, surrounded me getting sober, um, the, my girlfriends, my two best girlfriends, so, you know, we, it was the 80s, we had very big hair. We probably couldn't fit in this room. And we were disco girls and the whole thing. And they were really worried about me because I, was, I had been reduced to just a shell of a human being. And they set up an intervention under the guise of come see the new house. It's actually right up the road, cul-de-sac, the whole thing. The good girlfriends, right up the road over here. And um, so I said, okay, I'll go. And what they had done was they had done their homework that week and they had scheduled an intervention. And after dinner, they cornered me. That's my experience. I had no resentment. I had, you know, I pull up in the cul-de-sac, the girlfriend with her new engagement ring. I had no resentments when I got here. <laughs> and um, they, you know, they said, we're really worried about you. And this is, they had approached me once before, but I couldn't hear them. And I was so tired. I was so tired. There's something wonderful about really a, a, a just a bottom on alcohol and drugs. It's just something. What, what a gift! I thought it was the worst thing that happened to me. It was the best thing that happened to me because it got my attention. So after the um, dinner, I went and they said, "Call this phone number." And it was an intervention hotline. It was one of us who was doing service. And I got on the phone and I'm. And I went into that room, yeah, but I know what I'm doing. I'm going to move to California. I had a whole plan and all this attitude, unwilling. I got on the phone with this lady. I told, she, I told her a little bit about my story. And she said something to me, and it cracked me open. And she said, people like you with a history like yours don't go to a meeting and problem is solved. And she, I don't know what happened. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll ask for help. And I felt the weight of the world lift off of my chest. And I went from being unwilling to do something to being willing to do something. And I think that is a grace, a gift from God. And it did not originate out of Ava. It came from the little I, not from the big I. And that was a gift that something, some little seed of something, God as I understand him, came through that and I became willing and I went out of the room and I told my friends, I'm willing to get help. And that was the very first, the seedling, the first little surrender. And that's where I wound up in treatment and then the people came in and brought us meetings and I was enamored with what everyone was talking about and I was attracted to what I saw. And I said, I am going to do what these people do which was the next little seed of surrender. And then I went, and I went to meetings, and I ran around, and I got involved. I became very, I'm an overachiever, so I think God has skills, and he works with what he's got. And he, I was going to be the best AA ever in the history of mankind. Okay, no ego in that. 
none. But God will use what he's got to work with me. And so I ran around going, and I had, of course, you know, 750 service commitments in 90 days. You know, that's who I am. That had to come down to size at some point. But I was in the middle of AA doing everything that I needed to do and waking up. I, I've been, I had been sleepwalking my whole life. I had no self-awareness whatsoever. I did I, none. I, I'm probably the most out-to-lunch person ever. That's why I worked really hard because it would frustrate me if you asked me, how do you feel? I couldn't answer the question. If you asked me, do you want chocolate or vanilla? I couldn't answer the question. I would say, what do you think I should have? I needed you to tell me. I needed you to affirm me. That's a tough place to way to live. That's extreme dependency. I didn't have any language, any language for any of this. So I'm in AA and I start to wake up. I have this sponsor, my first sponsor, Valerie. I love this girl. I loved her. And after a year, so I'm about, maybe in my second year, I did my first half-baked, I don't know what that fourth step was. Doesn't matter. Hieroglyphics was probably better. If I would have drawn pictures, doesn't matter. I have to do what I'm available to do. And then I do more the next day. That's my experience. And my Valerie moved and drank. And I, I, and I, and I said, oh no. We are like people, like the book says, we are people who lost their legs. We don't grow new ones. What happened was when she drank, I saw myself in Valerie. And I realized that I was an alcoholic of the type that we talk about when I was her age. At that point, she was 19. I was in my early 30s. I saw myself in her. That's the magic of identification. Up until that point, I was kind of, you know, listening and doing. And then when I could see, I could see. You can't see till you could see. You can't hear till you could hear. I, and then I said, oh my god. It says, we must concede to our innermost self that we have this thing. I got, that was the next piece of surrender. I said, oh boy, I really am an alcoholic of this type. And I have this thing just like what they're talking about. And I need to really stay in the middle of the herd, which I had heard, but now I understood I must stay in the middle of the herd. And that's been my experience today. I stay in the middle of AA many days. That's the whole beauty of having a program of recovery, a home group, a sponsor, and a structure. I follow the directions of AA. I don't follow what my head tells me to do. That's unbelievable, because that's not who I am. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. I've been like that since the crib. And so I override my mind today, a day at a time, because you taught me how to do that, and I follow what AA tells me to do, and I don't default to Ava's mind. And if I'm lucky, I can access the higher power, the highest self, whatever you, God as I understand him, and I can hear that voice, and on the days when I'm too messed up or in self, which I didn't even understand what that expression meant, you know, like not feeling so hot, okay? I follow the external voice of AA. Go to the meeting, get there early, pick up the phone, answer the call. I don't want to hear about it. You know, so I have like all these voices in my head now. Some of them are the different sobriety voices, thank God. You implanted them while I was, you know, setting up the chairs. Of course I was. And the other thing that I did in my early days, which always helped me and was the best foundation, was I got, uh, because I got the message in a, in a detox, I joined the institution committee and I brought meetings to rehabs and detoxes for maybe the first 12 or 15 years of my sobriety. So at least best things forward, I see myself and there's nothing more delicious than going to a meeting and telling the people the good news. We have a way of life that works for people like us. Come join us. Just do what we do and we'd love to share, share with you and show you how that works for us. So thanks for listening. Thanks to our speakers, it was wonderful to hear you. Um, we have some time for some questions now. Uh, I have some questions that have been submitted in advance, but before we go to those, uh, is there anyone here who has a question? If you do, put your hand up, ask the question. I, I'll repeat it for the tape 
so that uh, anyone listening afterwards will be able to understand what the question was. Does anyone have a question for any of our panellists? Don't be shy. The lady. Um, yes, my name is Debbie. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Debbie. 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 I wanted to know about the drug. Because right now in our area is a massive opiate epidemic going on. And are we supposed to tell them, like, well, they say I didn't drink alcohol. So sometimes I direct them to another fellowship that uses our club. But am I, what am I supposed to say? I work in a treatment center, so you know I get that question a lot. And old time AA says, no, if you didn't drink, this is not the place for you. So I'm. So for the tape, the question is, if, if I can summarize briefly, is about how we handle people coming to AA who are suffering from opiate addiction, which is a big problem in this area. So over to any of the speakers. That's a very good question. And we have the responsibility uh, pledge that when anyone anywhere reaches out for the hand of AA, uh, we want the AA to be there, and for that I am responsible. So how do you reconcile those two, your question and that statement? As it was my understanding that was concerning the seventh tradition. And if you want to be responsible, the irresponsible become responsible, you put more than a dollar in the collection plate. It had nothing to do with singleness of purpose. That being said, I'm a big proponent of the singleness of purpose. There are over 442 different 12-step, anonymous 12-step organizations. I spoke at a, a state convention in Texas, and I had uh, several of the people from General Service Office there, and I asked them, there are over 800 people who have written permission from GSO to use the 12 steps. And the only thing different is powerless over alcohol. We go from emotions to diabetes, the drugs, the heroin, you name it, we have an anonymous program. Why isn't there just one big tent called AA? Anything anonymous. Why? The reason why is the single most important aspect of Alcoholics Anonymous is that of identification. It is not about education, it's not about information, it's about identification. I'm gonna tell you how important this is and why I am so, so, so emphatic about this. Dr. Bob could not stay sober. And on, I believe it's page 180, he asked that he met a person one might ask, he says, what it was that this man said that I, and he had been using the exact means that I've been trying to employ to stay sober. One might ask, what was it that he said that made the difference and I finally got sober? He said he talked about alcoholism, not from something that he read, but from his own experience. I have a home group. That's how important it is. I have a home group. It's a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. We ask that all who share identify themselves as an alcoholic only, not an ANDA. I've always looked to be different, and that difference is what takes me out because to fully concede to our innermost selves means that we get rid of what the big book calls a lurking notion or a mental reservation because I got to be on guard for the unguarded moment. There'll be a time that I'm not really like those people and that's where you're screwed. And that's why it's so important. We say, if you're not an alcoholic, now would be the time to leave. We will help you and guide you to an anonymous program that more specifically addresses your addiction. We do not do that to be exclusive. We do that and we make a stand in Alcoholics Anonymous because I don't want to see that person die. Case in point, in Texas, Wes, God rest his soul, he was one of the best trustees we ever had in Alcoholics Anonymous. His son would come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Everybody loved Wes. He was a barber, had great jokes, loved AA, was a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous in the service board. He would go up to his son and say, son, those alcoholics are going to kill you. You're not an alcoholic, you're a drug addict. And he ended up committing suicide. Because you have to be on guard against the unguarded moment. We have to make a stand. Bill said this. 
and also there was there was a letter to Alcoholics Anonymous, a general service board from NA, Jimmy K. He said, you people need to stand on your singleness of purpose. He said, we will handle the drug addicts. You're not, st you're not sticking to your primary purpose and you're killing people. And that's how important it is. We are not doing it to be exclusive or you're an alcoholic we don't, or a drug, drug addict. We don't want you in here. Quite the opposite. An alcoholic well of well armed with the facts about himself. If you want to know the truth, I'm a pig. I'll shoot it, store it, sniff it, smoke it, drink it, fight it, or have sex with it if it's going to change the way I feel about me. <laughs> but I am an alcoholic above. And I meet the criteria as, it, as you find it. Uh, chapter four. If you want to know what an alcoholic is, if you're sitting here and you don't get anything else of what I said, Chapter 4, page 44, fourth line down. If when you honestly want to, you find you have no control, or while drinking, you find you cannot stop, you're probably an alcoholic, and the news gets worse. If that be the case, you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. I hope that answers your question. Would any other of our panelists like to add to that? Ava here. Uh, on a personal note, since I have the history with many things, I can, in, on my couch, work with anybody who I identify with who I might be helpful to. Um, one of the groups with which my Tuesday night home group is an open meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, only alcoholics participate, and we say in the, one, in the format, if your problem is other than alcohol, we think it would also be helpful to you, for you to see an anonymous fellowship which more specifically treats your problem. And we have a list for, you know, for that. In my other group, Bagels and Big Book, it's an open Big Book meeting, and it's deliberately open so that we can share the wealth. Only when we go to the sharing portion, because it's an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, we say this, this is an open meeting and all are welcome to attend. The sharing portion is limited to members of the AA Fellowship, so that this way we can keep the singleness of purpose. And then a number of years ago, through a series, I was praying for a boyfriend, and instead I wound up with a fellowship of gay men called Crystal Meth Anonymous. I told them I should have been more specific in my prayers. God's a shipping clerk, so think about that. And anyway, I had the history of all of these things, and I went and I planted myself in the fellowship because I identified there and helped them start a big book study group and uh, bring a little structure to the meeting so that they have like solid sobriety and that fellowship is on fire. And one of the fellows, the founders, said, thank God for singleness of purpose because otherwise people would be dying because they would not be able to get sober mm -hmm. in AA. And one of my friends who had been, a, this guy never even drank and he tried to get sober in AA for years. We're talking 20 years or more that he went to AA and would have gaps of sobriety time that at some point he would always use again and that's because he was in the wrong room and when he came back this time I said listen you've been in the wrong room and you need to go to CMA and those are your people and you're going to love it there and guy celebrated 18 months day at a time and he's living out loud so that's just proof that you know there is a solution and there's a lot of rooms where that's taking place thanks, thanks, sir. thanks sir. Yeah, Bill, alcoholic. Hey, Bill. I'm one of those guys who backdoored into this fellowship from another fellowship. You know, you know, back in the 70s in, in Minneapolis, you know, it was a big Hazelton thing. Everybody get in the van, you're going for help, right? They just load us up and send, ship us to an AA meeting and say, you know, we, every once in a while we get encountered by these people, but this is a close meeting, you can't say you're chemically dependent, you know? And it felt like I was being ostracized or excluded. And then these guys would tell me, well, just say you're an alcoholic. And I didn't understand what I had. At that time, it seemed like an insult. So I thought, all right. <laughs> and I'd look at the third tradition, the short form, and say, you know what? I'm an addict, and you know what? I don't want to drink today. You know, a vision <laughs> for you, right? <laughs> But it took a little bit of time, and it took some people outside of the meeting to spend personal time with me mm -hmm. and say, 
Tell me about when you drank. We understand about all this drug behavior and all you're trying to prove how bad you are and want to tell stories, but let's stick to <coughs> this. And once I started to understand that I had alcoholism and that I could go to AA and it could save my life, it changed my life. If I would have just gone to what we kind of call soft AA that doesn't abide by the traditions, it would have killed me. I know it would have killed me because I would leave those meetings thinking, I don't belong, even though I tried to belong. So, but on that, like Ava was saying, on a personal level, I have sat down on my couch and I have helped meetings get started and structured and supported, and I still do that. And I will continue to do that on a personal level. But in AA, I'm a singleness of purpose guy because it saves lives. And it saved mine. Thanks. I have all alcoholic. Just a quick one. Our panel did very well with that. But from my personal experience, when I got here, I was a member of the ANDA. I was an alcoholic ANDA. And the truth of the matter is, I had no idea that alcoholism and drinking alcohol are two separate items. Mm -hmm. I thought alcoholics just drank a lot. You can't be an alcoholic if you don't have the two symptoms that Joe talked about. There's only two questions, page 44. When you want to quit entirely, you can't. And when drinking, little control. If you don't have those two things, you're not an alcoholic. And my job is to identify a newcomer. If he's not alcoholic, I am doing him a disservice by allowing him to stay in our fellowship because you will thrive, just like the name of this place, with like-minded people. If you do not have that obsession to drink, you'll never understand why I keep picking up a drink. You'll tell me, just don't drink. Don't drink, go to meetings. That's what they told me. Until I came to a place of like-minded people who had what I had. And they said, if you had the power to not drink, you wouldn't need to be here. So I had to learn the difference. And, and then today I take a little time and identify the people I work with. And if they're not alcoholic, I will send them to a fellowship that will help them to get everything they need. Good question. Uh, my name is Tim. My name's Tim. I'm, I'm an alcoholic, by the way. Tim. Um, just one <laughs> tiny thing I want to add on that point. My home group is a big book study in Alcoholics Anonymous, but many members of our home group will go out and do step and tradition workshops to help some of the smaller, newer fellowships with our experience of the big book so that they can marry the experience of AA with their personal experience of their own addictions so that they can... So, so, so we're, not, we're not building a wall... We're offering them everything we have, but it's, it's not within the group. It's individuals going out. And uh, some of us travel all over the world to help seed these new fellowships with, where, where we have, I'm multiply addicted. I have been able to help people in other fellowships. Um, there is a, a, some other questions that we've had. Um, one of them is a common question that I get asked is, when you're dealing with a sponsee who is, shall we say, struggling to surrender, maybe they're relapsing or they're obstinate or they're whatever, how do you handle it? <laughs> Any? <laughs> well, that's, that's a good question. And as far as I know, and Bill references this, there's no way to make someone do anything here. And the, I, I have to just say this, is they say there's a co-founders co of Alcoholics Anonymous and Bill and Bob. I strongly disagree with that. I say we have three founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the third founder that I haven't mentioned yet is our greatest 12-stepper. And until that, in, that member of the tri-founding membership of Alcoholics Anonymous is through with its 12-step work, we can't stop, start with ours. And that's alcohol. Alcohol's got nothing, nothing makes you more willing than a good ass whipping by alcohol. And I don't pick green apples. I don't, because it gives you a stomach ache. 
I don't try to teach a pig to sing. It irritates him and frustrates me. <laughs> when you come into Alcoholics Anonymous, there's nothing you can say to hurt an alcoholic. When you come into Alcoholics Anonymous, if you want this, if you've been blessed, where's the word slip come from? It comes from slip from the grace of God. When you're in that grace of God and you've got that willingness, we could put bars on that door out there and they find a way to chew through them. And if they are not willing, there's nothing you can do to make them willing. And, and old Mark Houston, he used to always tell us, bop till you drop, little brother. <laughs> and, and that's about it. And the surrender and getting someone ready comes from the grace of God. And our big book references it very well. If he is to get sober, the desire must come from within, not without. You either go within or you always go without. That's all. Hi, family, Paul Alcoholic. Hey, it's funny, this morning I saw an old card that I used to give out my phone number. Alcoholics Anonymous used to have a commercial on TV a long time ago, and I used the saying from that commercial, if you want to drink, it's none of my business. If you want to stop drinking, that's my business. Drink till, you know, I'm not the kind and loving type. My guys tell me they want to tell them to go drink, have a good time. Call me when you're ready. And it was touched on, we don't get to surrender people. They have to be surrendered. Uh, if they want to drink, it's none of my business. And, and that's important because it can't, it says something about, we can't save them all. But at least we can take a kind and tolerant view of each and every one. Sometimes I think that um, the perception is if you come to a couple of meetings of AA and then you drink again, that you relapse. <laughs> and I, I have a different perspective. I think, you, you know, because it's not everybody's going to come to the first meeting and stop drinking, especially if they don't understand what's going on. So it's, it's maybe when you've been here for a while and then you take your will back and you stop doing the stuff and you drink again. To me, that's a relapse. But when people come and audit AA and they mill around, they're just getting their feet wet. So I like to be welcoming and not critical and not judgmental and not punishing and not criticize them for drinking again because that's what I do. Just encourage them to come back, to keep coming, to listen, to understand. Maybe get some outside help to help them understand what they're up against. Be encouraging. And my favorite newcomers are the ones who come and they're like pissed off and they're um, not willing, really. And they don't really want to get sober. They don't even know what, what they're doing in the meeting. And somehow you tell them, you know what, you don't, you, this is not the people who need it. It's not the people who want it. It's for people who do it. So I always say, you know what, you can act your way into a surrender by doing this stuff, even if it seems ridiculous. And a lot of, and those are my faves because he's, I meet them all the time, and that's, it's possible, and they can act their way into a surrender. So that's what I do. I remember telling Sam Kay in San Antonio, I said, you know what, screw AA and screw you, I'm gonna go out and get drunk. He goes, I've been waiting for that to happen, I hope you get drunk, you little bastard. You want $20? I stayed sober a year to get you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bill Alcoholic. I find it funny that this question came up about some of the obstinacy and some of the obstacles that get in the way after sobriety. Um, I think we've, we've touched on a lot about, you know, coming into sobriety, but what about after the fact, right? I've been blessed to sponsor a whole lot of people who have had time and can quote this book verbatim, and they're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> So what do we do about that, you know? And I had mentioned last night that I used to think it was kind of like the, the motto of the newcomer, you know, um, help me, help me, don't tell me what to do. That's even more the case with these mid to older timers that I run across or that God throws at me. I think it's punishment some days, but anyway, <laughs> and it's a blessing other days. Really, it's a blessing overall, but it seems that way sometimes, you know? But it's like the world's coming at us at this crazy pace, and it seems like it's a personal attack. And what am I going to do about this? And so did, and I might say, well, did you pray about it? Well, of course I did. 
Oh, that's why you're agitated and doubtful, right? <laughs> but I also understand that there's a piece of humanness that I need, and the 10th step talks about it. I need to spill some of this out loud. I need to have a sounding board. I need to see my words some days. I need to hear what Joe might have to say about what I just said. So I need the human element because I can convince myself that I'm so spiritual. Me and God got this thing going on and I don't need to get out loud with it. And that happens a lot. I get a lot of phone calls and that will come out when I, with a couple of simple questions like, did you pray about it? What did that look like? What? 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 And it doesn't take a whole lot to determine that this ego, this disease, whatever you want to call it, has a grip and that self-will has taken place, fear has taken over, and we're right smack dab in the middle of pages 60 through 63 again, even though we don't want to admit it. Thanks. Thank you. Taylor, I'm the craziest person Bill sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Competitive oh, organization. Yeah. Huh? Um, <laughs> thank you to all our speakers, um, and uh, thank you for the questions. Uh, so we've run out of time for this session, I'm afraid. Um, thanks again to everyone who's made this workshop possible. Um, so what we would... Uh, do we close that dream session? So let's, um, well, first I'm going to say what we're going to do after we close, but uh, we're going to have a 15-minute break after we close and resume at uh, about 11.30, uh, but let's uh, circle up real quick, uh, have a moment of silence, uh, followed by Serenity Prayer. Thank you.